Matt Wolf is a filmmaker from New York whose critically acclaimed documentary films have been shown across the globe. Wild Combination does a deep dive into the life and music of Arthur Russell. Teenage is a study of early youth culture and the birth of the very idea of teenagers. Recorder is an invaluable portrait of the activist and archivist Marion Stokes, who secretly recorded broadcast television continuously 24 hours a day for 30 years. Spaceship Earth is a film about Biosphere 2, the experiment from the early 90s where eight people lived inside a fully contained biome cut off, or seemingly cut off, from the rest of the world. He also recently worked on an incredible film called The Stroll as a producer. That film explores the history of New York's meatpacking district from the perspective of the transgender sex workers who lived and worked there. Wolf has a way of effortlessly expanding the parameters of documentary. I say effortlessly, but if you listen to this conversation, you can tell that there's a great deal of effort put into making sure that viewers of Matt's films feel an emotional connection to what they're watching, while also being presented with a subtle set of questions about art, the biosphere, the ways that media manufacture social reality, and many other subjects. More and more, though, he's looking for ways, he says, to work creatively within the conventions of documentary filmmaking, rather than working to explode these defining characteristics. All of this comes through on the screen. There's a few threads in this conversation that I think are worth underlining. Wolf is deeply interested in exploring the lives of people who take enormous risks with what they're attempting to create. Risks that may not pay off in the long run, or that influence their capacity to relate to the rest of the world. The way he puts it is that his films are concerned with people that weren't entirely able to translate the full scope of what they were doing to others. That makes their work difficult and rewarding and deserving of reappraisal. Wolf made his documentary Wild Combination on Arthur Russell, this cult cellist and disco producer, at age 25. This is pretty surprising when you actually sit down with the film. You'd assume that this is a director at the top of his game. But in reality, Matt says that at the time he was studying this artist, Arthur Russell, as a way of actually learning how to be an artist himself. I really appreciated how open Matt was in this conversation about his attachment to the specific texture of the past and his desire to tell stories in a way that doesn't intrude on the viewer's interpretation of the material. He explains how Spaceship Earth, his brilliant study of Biosphere 2, was described by some people as being a somewhat uncritical film. That lack of critical scrutiny is kind of what makes the film so captivating. Wolf sits back and engages with the folks in his films generously, or in a way unassumingly. I think that generosity pays off in certain ways. It makes the films he creates into acts of reappraisal that encourage connection. To me, it makes sense to start with the kind of broad question of what drew you first to documentary specifically. And, and I, I'm curious too, you know, to make it maybe a little less broad, to ask whether you share in making documentaries the same sort of in, intense devotion and even obsessiveness of some of your subjects like Marion Stokes, Arthur Russell, John P. Allen. Yeah, I mean, I... Um... I grew up in California in the late nineties. I was like a gay teen activist and there was, uh, you know, a lot of media attention around that issue at the time. And, um, 
a news crew actually made or two news crews made two short documentaries about me. And it was a really negative experience. I didn't enjoy it. And um, I, at the time, wanted to be like a 90s indie filmmaker living in New York. And I, I moved to New York and I went to film school at NYU. And, um, you know, I, I was doing my thing and I sort of accidentally ended up making a documentary. I was making a film about the musician Arthur Russell and um, started interviewing people just as part of what I perceived as like a kind of experimental project. And um, I had a knack for interviewing and I really enjoyed it. And um, as I was going through the archive, I, I realized just how much I love to work with archival material. And, I, and everyone I was working with said, you're making a documentary. I said, I'm not making a documentary. I'm making some experimental project. And they said, no, you're, you're making a feature documentary. And I, and I was, and I did. And um, with the kind of positive reception of that film, I continued down that path. And now I'm very, you know, happy to be making documentaries. I don't aspire to make anything else. So, um, you know, to answer the second part of your question, um, yeah, I am obsessive and driven like some of my subjects, but probably a little more uh, high functioning. Um, not to d diminish the accomplishments of the people who've been subjects of my films, but sometimes um, they're, I would say for the most part, their work kind of all begged for reappraisal and was not fully understood um, during their time or during the heyday of their work. And, and that, I think, often goes towards um, perhaps their inability to translate the full scope of what they were doing to others, inability or even um, disinterest. And so I think, you know, while I share some of the characteristics of my subjects um, with some critical distance, I'm able to act almost like as a translator to help make coherent and significant what these people have done by reappraising. Um, their life's work and their and their life story. So that's often the role I play relative to subjects who I, I do identify with. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes you perfectly positioned, I think, to do this sort of work. Um, but yeah, I, I see similarities with the work with uh, between your work and the work of like Theo Anthony, for example, mm -hmm. you know, whose film All Light Everywhere is this like dizzying conceptual account of like the history of vision there are all these echoes of kind of experimental documentary techniques. Um, and I just, you know, I wondered if you could, you, you know, you talked about the, the genesis of it in your life. I wondered if you could speak to like the examples in documentary that you draw from inspiration, like who's impacted your sense of what documentary is for. I, I was very like inspired by avant-garde film or the new queer cinema of the nineties when I came into filmmaking and I think over time, I've become less concerned with kind of exploding or expanding the form of documentary and working creatively within some of the, um, you know, conventions of it. I think <clears throat> for a long time, I felt a need to blow those up. And now I'm interested in doing experimental things within those conventions, um, specifically interview based documentaries that make use of archives and I think a lot of what I'm known for is using those archives in creative and unexpected ways and, and tackling and taking on monumental archives that require unique and unprecedented processes to, to delve into. And so um, for me, um, you know, there's one kind of esoteric documentary that has always been kind of like a blueprint in my brain. Not that I reference it actively, but I remember seeing it after making Wild Combination and there's some uncanny parallels just in terms of the films. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, I love this. This is like 
exactly what I mean by trying to experiment within conventions. And mm -hmm. it's a film about the musician named Nick Drake called A Skin Too Few. It's just a 45-minute film. It's mm -hmm. on YouTube. People should check it out. And um, it's just a film that I think does subtle things that are highly artistic and um, sensitive and thoughtful, but also um, visually pleasurable and, um, you know, models the past and the present in really seamless ways and has beautiful characters. It's just, I find it to be soothing to watch and dreamy. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's just like one film that, and whenever I watch it, it kind of, to me, reinforces like my approach to documentary filmmaking, even though I'm not maybe directly inspired by it because I saw it after I started doing what mm -hmm. I do. But it's um, it's just an interesting film many people haven't seen. Mm -hmm. I have not seen it. Um, I'll have to check it out myself. Um, you've discussed your your film Teenage from, I think, 2013 in terms of like not only uh, that commitment to research, you know, it takes its focus from John Savage's book, Teenage, the Creation of Youth, youth Culture, but like also um, this, this, yeah, dedication to kind of living collage is the term that you use. Mm -hmm. And I especially like the emphasis on living in that phrase. Like this mm -hmm. is to me what documentary provides that like a text can't quite offer, you know, like that sense of an experience of the living thing. Um, and yeah, you talked about sort of a movement away from more explicitly, um, avant-garde or, or deconstructive techniques of working within this genre. And that, that is certainly like looking at all of your work, the, tr the sort of trajectory one can see, like, you know, Spaceship Earth, anybody that might be like unfamiliar with your work going into that movie might be struck by how much it's using like footage from the Synergy as Ra Synergia Ranch's experimental theater and improvisation work. But the whole point is that you're you're not trying to tell a straightforward, almost scientific account of Biosphere 2. You're looking for the affective, the narrative, or I guess the sort of human element, right? Mm -hmm. Is that sort of part of the thing? Yeah, I mean, I I follow my own interests intuitively. I, I feel like if I'm interested in material, I can make it interesting to you. If I feel moved by material, I can make it moving for you. I've learned how to... Um, craft materials so that whatever my experience is, is translatable. You know, it's kind of what I was saying about translation. And I think, um, you know, as a filmmaker, I make stuff that's connected to what I'm interested in. And in the case of Biosphere 2, I was interested in this group of artists and outliers um, who did a kind of an eclectic range of projects, I think somewhat intuitive, intuitively or by chance. And that they found their ultimate expression and convergence in this idiosyncratic monumental project of Biosphere 2. And, mm -hmm. you know, something I'm really interested in, that's the, the entire premise of my film Teenage and um, the, the film I'm working on now does this significantly is like a deep, long prehistory is really right. going deep into everything that led up to the main event or to the main subject of the film um, to really, um, to really think of the Genesis as almost more interesting than the thing itself. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my film teenage looks at the invention of teenagers, like the, the earliest youth cultures from the turn of the century up until um, the end of world war two. And the term teenager was coined. And I think that idea of the prehistory became really important to me while making that film. And I just, you know, not even as like a kind of directive, but just, 
in terms of following my own interests, I am really mm-hmm. interested in the deep dive of a prehistory. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it explains this sort of blend of the archival and the narrative in your work, like the narrative thread is you sort of exploring and attempting on some level to explain, if only through the organization of the material, what the takeaways were for you, like what drew you in, but also uh, what you're sort of left with and thinking through it. And I guess I did want to talk a little bit more about Spaceship Earth because, you know, I just feel like your take on it in in this film is is quite generous in a way. Like there's a there's a book called Half Earth Socialism by Drew mm-hmm. Pendergrass and Troy Batiste that you know talks about this project. Uh, and they are way less generous. They sort of ridicule the ambition behind the project. Mm-hmm. A quick f- quote from the book. They say, two missions were carried out at Biosphere 2 between 1991 and 1994. Both ended in disaster. Bass and Allen's walled Eden became a small dying world. The most important lesson salvaged from the wreckage of Biosphere 2 is the impossibility of controlling ecological systems of even a modest size. Um and so I, I wanted to ask, like, what did you learn in making the film about this sort of intersection between ecology, business, marketing, public opinion? And do you think you would have gotten the same thing out of the process if your approach had been more aggressively critical? Um, yeah, I mean, I felt like the aggressively critical thing is out there. It's just to me, it wouldn't be interesting to recapitulate that. And mm-hmm. Because I became invested in the story of this ragtag group who called themselves the Synergists at a countercultural ranch, I really wanted to follow their journey. Um, and it only made sense to do that in an empathic way rather than kind of throwing them under the bus as idiots. Because the way I structured their story, it builds a lot of interest and, and makes a case for the significance and, and, um, and ambition of what they were trying to do. And I think ambition is the key word. And something I relate to is trying to do unprecedented and ambitious things and being able to accomplish what others might think is impossible by bringing together small groups of people who may not have specialized skills, but have the determination to do something new. I mean, just that is a very inspiring premise. Mm -hmm. It's, It's the kind of energy we need in the world rather than a bunch of people saying, if everybody said back in the 90s, this was a failure, let's go step by step about how it was a failure. It's just to me, it's that in terms of following my interests, I, that kind of mm-hmm. thing doesn't feel particularly interesting to me. It feels kind of expected. And so and even, you know, some of the response of the film is like kind of like it's not critical enough. And, you know, I appreciate that that feedback. But I think at the end of the day, it's about a group of people who you know, tried to reimagine the world, but the world they reimagine inherited the same problems as Biosphere One, which is Mm -hmm. their terminology for our planet. And I think it's a cautionary tale, a little bit about neoliberalism, not to use Buzz terminology, but that, you know, bigger isn't always better and that, you know, Mm -hmm. big business and environmentalism aren't the best bedfellows, despite the the kind of techno-utopianism and idealism that permeates our kind of like, you know, apocalyptic world today Mm. is that, you know, it will take people coming together to manage their imprint on the world to reverse some of the catastrophic effects that we're having on the planet. And that a group of people had the ambition to examine that and to, and to try to manage their imprint on a smaller version of the world, but the kind of economic and personal forces of uh, leadership and, and um, ego behind the scenes, um, you know, um, 
was mm-hmm. was a reflection of the broader world in which they couldn't you know eliminate from from the, the small world they had created you've you've captured really well what i see as the center sort of generosity of the documentary um that you're you're not necessarily there to land on on one position with regard to like the project's failure or success that like the point is telling the story of people who had the courage to fail on a grand scale. Yeah. Or just reframing the conversation around a project, which largely has been discounted or forgotten into something like what's wrong with people trying to literally change the world. It's, it's really a story about the kernels of 1960s back to the land counterculture and how that kind of shook out over the course of the nineties with the development of technology and, and that kind of techno utopianism. And I think like, mm-hmm. you know, I just, um, I'm really not into bashing people who um, try, tried to have an imprint on the world that was positive. And I see that mm-hmm. as, as a thread that's developing in other work that I'm making right now. And um, mm-hmm. I think that, um, yeah, I, I just, I'm really drawn to the idea of a reappraisal is to helping people think about someone or something differently then they may at surface or, you know, face value or may have thought of in the past. And, and to also recognize people who may have not been wired to be um, legible in the mainstream, who may have had ambitions and ideas that weren't mainstream, but found themselves thrust into that arena and what the consequences of that are. I think that's very much the, the case of Biosphere too, is we're talking about countercultural weirdos. Like, did they belong mm-hmm. on Good Morning America? I'm not so exactly. sure. Um, you know, so I think that that also interests me is the intersection between the underground or the countercultural and the mainstream and the consequences for that collision. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is one of the big lessons of Spaceship Earth and really of Biosphere 2 is the way that wonder and sensation can lead to unexpected publicity. Um, and you know, why couldn't climate communicators use some of that in mainstreaming climate action? Well, you show the pitfalls in some sense. Like when a PR professional in the film says they had to beam them up somehow, meaning the biospherians, like he's talking about the need to make these people larger than life, caricatures. Um, And like that narrative strategy can work. It's a strategy in some ways of simplification and of sensation. Um, And so the, the question becomes, why not take a lesson from that? it's a kind of uh, object lesson and why it's dangerous to take a lesson from that specific PR strategy. They wanted to be mainstream. That's their fault, you know? So rather than focusing on whatever the limitations or failures of, of the science in their project, um, you know, or the, the kind of premise of their facility and it's the long-term kind of viability or, or, knowledge that could be gleaned from it to me it's like the the fatal error of seeking the attention of the world while trying to figure something out you know to Mm -hmm. be to be experimental and to court that kind of visibility is problematic it's it's um i was on a panel yesterday related to a film i produced called the stroll and we talked Mm -hmm. about you know sometimes the perils of visibility and also the limitations of it and i think that um, the group from Biosphere 2 had to learn in very harsh terms the, the kind of downside of visibility, whereas they had been operating under the radar to try to think of a new model of living, one that would be um, ecologically sound and economically sustainable. But I think Biosphere 2 proves that 
this, that is a difficult premise. One that people hope and wish can be the case today still, but that mm-hmm. is difficult to achieve. Can I, can I ask you some questions about the stroll? Sure. Yeah, please. It is in, a profoundly moving story that uh, made a really like indelible uh, mark on me when I watched it. It's, it centers on, um, you know, I, I, I hesitate to give a summary of the film because it is so complex, but it's really in some ways about the over-policing of sex work in New York City and the gentrification of uh, the meatpacking district, which became this kind of space of autonomy for especially, um, you know, black trans women in, um, in sex work. And it's just, it's, it's a beautiful film in many ways because it's, I think, ambivalent about um, representing trauma. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if you could just kind of unpack some of the conversations you had with the filmmakers about negotiating that specific balance between just sort of representing uh, the joy and the the power that these women have and the very real social challenges they face. Yeah, I really like your take on the film, and that's in line with what Kristen Lovell and Zachary Drucker, the co-directors of the film, really hope to achieve. And and we always said from the get-go, we don't want to make something that's trauma porn, and that's the cliche of looking at sex worker and, tra- and trans people, particularly trans women of color, um, and to really lean into um, the joy and the sisterhood and the camaraderie and, and to... Um, bring people into an unexpected place that um, helps them to understand what resilience looks like and what power to, to use your word looks like as well. I've, I found these women who I met through the directors to be incredibly powerful, um, you know, people who mm-hmm. were discounted and against all odds survived um, despite kind of, you know, um, police brutality and the, the kind of, um, the kind of uh, contempt of neighbors who were gentrifying the neighborhood where they um, found their livelihood. And so, um, you know, I think ambivalence is also a really interesting word. I think it's a space that I really like to be in as a filmmaker, instead of Mm. telling people what to think, um, to leave them holding many different feelings and thoughts at once. I think as a culture, we're really adverse to having an ambivalent response to material to not being able to put our finger down how we feel but to be able to feel multiple things at once to hold complexity it's i think you know we're encouraged to as as storytellers and and as a culture to say who's right and who's wrong to be told what to think uh this person's a genius this person's an idiot this is a failure this is success uh you know these people um were despicable these people were heroic it's just everybody exists in a more complex space and mm-hmm. um you know i said to a subject you know a while back you know be complicated being complicated is more interesting than being simple mm-hmm. and being straightforward and being all resolved and and i think that's true for everybody it's just a life thing is it's it's okay to hold complexity and the women who worked you know in the streets of the meatpacking district i think are just gifted at holding that complexity of knowing that they had had traumatic experiences and that their survival was um, unlikely, but that also within that experience and and that kind of um, shared community, there is a lot of joy. There was a lot of happiness and sisterhood. Mm -hmm. And so um, that, that sense of being multiple things at once is just so important in storytelling and in, in in the way we look at history. Mm -hmm. 
And there's so much of that same kind of spirit in Wild Combination. Um, you know, like there is a degree of ambivalence about um, Arthur Russell to the extent that, you know, this is a, a, a person who was obsessive about people borrowing his ideas, for example, you know, perceiving it as a, almost a theft of his ideas. Um, and there are people who are critical of his sort of perfectionism. But ultimately, the documentary is a celebration of this figure. It's also all about the people around him who cherished him, who become the reasons why his music can be appreciated by contemporary listeners. There's a line from the very beginning of the film that I was reminded of when you were just speaking from the music critic David Toop, where he says, not many people allow themselves the full extent of their complexity. Mm. You frame the film with that comment. I forgot that. Yeah, that's interesting that I just said that, but I forgot that. I mean, in a lot of ways that film, I made that film when I was like 25 years old. So in a lot of ways, I was learning how to be an artist by examining another artist. And Mm -hmm. I think that idea that you could be multiple people at once as an artist, you didn't have to have a coherent sense of who you were, that you could even like Arthur take on different monikers and people might not Mm -hmm. even know the different sides of you as one. I think that idea of trying to integrate the, the, I guess that's that idea is something I really hold true is that you have to honor the different sides of yourself as an artist, but that as a filmmaker, I often have pushed people and encouraged people to integrate these different sides of themselves and their lives. It's a different case with, with people who are deceased, obviously, but I think that is a kind of reparative, but also cathartic and, um, compelling way to understand people, the most complicated people who are obviously the best subjects for films, they contain multitudes. And if I'm able to encourage them to synthesize and to integrate these different sides of themselves, there is something cathartic for the viewer to see that and, and something that deepens people's sense of appreciation for the, the complexity of, of compelling and visionary people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, this is a, a film that comes out around the time when Russell is sort of being rediscovered, right? There's this resurgence in, in curiosity. Uh, and even that, the sort of um, logic of that, as it were, is, is worth thinking about. Um, you know, it has a lot to do with just archives resurfacing, um, but a, a lot more to do with just the kind of maybe complexity of that person's work. You know, somebody like Alice Coltrane finding this sort of renaissance, that that sort of is something that I'm curious about. And it, it's it's connected in a lot of ways w- uh, to your 2019 film, Recorder, uh, about Marion Stokes, who people might know as this sort of incre- you know, incredible figure an obsessive archivist of, of news media and television. In an interview, you said that uh, you're more interested in hidden histories than archives um, and that you're invested in making the past feel contemporary. And I kind of wondered if you could talk about how that came out in your development of Recorder. Like there are these things that you hit on, the connections in some ways between the 1979 Iran hostage crisis and like 9-11 as these moments, these events that are hypermediated. Mm-hmm. Is it is it sort of seeing the hidden in those hyper visible things, the thing that the the sort of background that recedes from history in, in terms of those massive events? How do you balance that, I guess, with kind of engaging with the the smaller events that define these subjects' lives? I mean, I think just for me, 
it's more exciting to discover something that's there that people don't know about or that's surprising to me from the past mm-hmm. and not just on an aesthetic level. I like the texture of the past and working with that. And mm-hmm. my goal is to do it in a way that feels exciting and revelatory to people. It's just to me an unexpected way to experience the world and I'm not good at reportage and I don't want, I mean, Mm. whatever, maybe I'm good at it and I'm not interested, (laughs) but I think that, you know, like um, a lot of things that unfold in the present often um, become dated. Um, And there is something really appealing about making your own car archive, capturing something happening in the present that will take on a kind of unexpected significance or curiosity in the future. But Mm -hmm. I kind of, I I do the opposite. I look in the future when things have taken kind of unexpected kind of um, novelty. And so, you know, I think that um, a lot of that just is, again, like sharing my sense of excitement and curiosity about something. And I think for me, just as a creative person, I still find out about things that are so up my alley that I didn't know about. And Mm -hmm. that gives me a sense of excitement and curiosity about the world is that it's still worth digging through these troves of archives, you know, with Marion Stokes's film, it was, I don't know, 700 hours of footage. And I was looking for things, but the things I wasn't looking for what were most exciting to me. So having that sense of curiosity to dive into the material and to find things that take on a kind of resonance or that are exciting to me. It's like, it's like, you know, it's a driver for me creatively. And my goal is to share how I feel about those discoveries with other people and to hope it's revelatory and interesting to them too. Yeah. And, you know, I, I recently taught the film recorder. Oh, cool. And that's, uh, you know, in many ways what the students took away, they talked about how documentaries have the capacity to challenge conventional reasoning. They offer multiple lenses and perspectives. They can explain the trajectory of events. Um, And they were really struck by that moment in Recorder where you document in real time the development of 9-11 coverage across major networks Mm -hmm. and when each network picked up coverage of the event. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's remarkable that you've got Fox News lagging behind and showing this music video that feels so frivolous in the context mm-hmm. of that world altering event. Mm-hmm. In terms of recorder, you talked about uh, how for you, this is, I think you talked to Art Forum about the fact that, you know, it's it's supposed to tell an emotionally intense family story. And it does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's about Marion. And, and in fact, from the like origin of the term documentary in, there was a 1926 review of Robert Flaherty's Moana, uh, which was a, you know, an account of the events in the daily life of a Polynesian youth where the Scottish filmmaker, John Grierson, like coins the term documentary. Mm-hmm. He talked about this kind of mood of relaxation and mood of resolution that exists in society that these documentaries can capture. This feels to me what you're sort of trying to work toward to some extent is that 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 kind of um, exhilarating sense of feeling together, feeling your way through. I wondered if you could sort of reflect on that to some extent in terms of how you're also like seeing the seeds of the sort of world people are fighting for. Yeah, I mean, I'm also really interested in people who are world builders. I mean, that's very literal in biosphere too, but in terms of the the people I've also profiled in other films, like people who kind of reimagine the world on different terms and live by those terms and create by those terms and 
um, you know, it's another kind of thing I say is unexpected visionaries. And, and I see those as world builders, you know, people who, um, you know, put, put the pieces together in different ways than everybody else. And in terms of empathy, um, you know, I think everything is led by emotion. You know, I'm, I'm a kind of cerebral conceptual person who is very attached to films that express bigger ideas. You know, the story or the, the biography becomes a vector for bigger cultural histories and bigger ideas, but it's all kind of, to me, uh, pointless unless it's driven by a strong emotional relationship to the material. You know, like uh, the reason I hope my films might stick with somebody is because they've had an intense um, emotional experience, you know, whether that's to the, to the survival of street-based sex workers, to um, the, the loss of, of the ambition to change the world of the Biosperians or, you know, the, um, you know, the sacrifices that one woman made to try to create an unprecedented archive or to the, the kind of, um, you know, um, inspired body of work left behind by a musician who self-sabotaged to an extent in his inability to finish. I mean, just, you know, the, the kind of tragedies of AIDS and the generation of artists who we could be seeing such complex outputs from. I mean, there's so much emotional substance to those things. And I hope that people have not just a kind of one dimensional relationship to it, like, oh, that's so sad or that's so inspiring, but to, to feel multiple things that that was sad and that is inspiring. And that, you know, when I make films, I'm very emotionally involved in the material. I really try to protect my own emotional relationships. Uh, you know, I'm watching Rough Cuts a hundred times and I'm still crying throughout that. You know, my boyfriend always makes jokes because I'm at the kitchen table watching down a cut and noting it, you know, crying. It's because my, uh, I have to protect my emotional relationship to the material so I can gauge if something's working. If I feel emotionally disconnected to the material, why would you feel connected to it? It's if I if I feel moved by the material, I think there's a good chance you might too. So it's I follow my own lead in that sense and, and then bring a certain kind of logic to the process so that I can figure out why isn't this making me connect? What can we do to change this to make one connect more? And there are kind of obvious and then, uh, you know, more unexpected ways to do that usually through structural revision um and then calibrating the balance between saying things explicitly and then saying them implicitly so i think like for me it's it's a craft of expressing big ideas through the um you know through the means of storytelling so that people have an emotional relationship to those ideas and to people and that that lasts that they take that with them and it doesn't go away so that the ideas um, or the histories that are told reverberate across time. So that's how I think about film and, and what I do. Yeah, wow. And, and you know, I am a huge fan um, of the work you're doing. Thank you. It is so generous. It is so rigorous at the same time. Um, and, you know, and really, really appreciate you making this time. Yeah, and I appreciate how much um, you looked into my work and thought about it, and um, and I'm glad you connect to it, and I hope um, the ways that I make films might help other people or make other people think about doing things their own way um, that they think matters and, and that they hope connects with other people. I mean, just connecting with people through 
this kind of work is like that's the whole point. So I appreciate the the time and energy you put into watching my stuff. You know, preparing for a podcast by watching movies. That's that's my kind of preparation. Yeah, totally. Well, not to plug, but um, you know, all my films, short and long, are going to be on the Criterion Channel starting in November. So if people oh, are interested, that's one place to go where they'll all be. That's awesome. Good luck with everything. Thank you, and thank you for taking the time.